I'm so excited that we launched my new supplement line, Adapt Naturals, last week. We started with a Core Plus bundle, a daily stack of five products that work together to add back in what the modern world has squeezed out and help you feel and perform your best. Our ancestors' diets were rich in the essential vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients we need for optimal function. But today, thanks to declining soil quality, a growing toxic burden, and other challenges in the modern world, most of us are not getting enough of these critical nutrients. The Core Plus bundle was formulated using the principles of evolutionary biology and modern research to fill the nutrient gaps that we face today and replicate the nutrient intakes found in an optimal ancestral diet. Most of us have patched together a cupboard full of supplements without a clear strategy or plan. The Core Plus bundle has been carefully curated to give you everything you need each day, from essential vitamins and minerals like B12, folate, magnesium, and vitamin D, to phytonutrients like bioflavonoids, carotenoids, and beta-glucans. The five products in Core Plus support your health from A to Z, from cellular and immune health to brain and nervous system support to blood sugar and heart health. I wanted to provide my readers and listeners with a way to benefit from my 15 years of clinical experience and research without working with me one-on-one -on -one as a patient. And Core Plus is that solution. Also, for a limited time only, we're providing free access to the Adapt Naturals Core Reset app to anyone who orders the Core Plus bundle. As powerful as our supplements are, they can't take the place of a healthy diet and lifestyle. The Core Reset app is designed to help you dial in your nutrition, sleep, movement, and stress management so you have a strong foundation to build on with the Core Plus supplement bundle. To learn more and place your first order, head over to adaptnaturals.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-Naturals.com. Hey everybody, Chris Kresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. As some of you may know from listening to the show, I'm an avid skier. In fact, I got 100 days in last season, but about a third of the way through the season, I started to develop low back pain, which isn't really typical for me. And there, there wasn't an injury that I was aware of. Uh, I had some theories about what caused it, but I wasn't sure. And while it wasn't debilitating, it was pretty annoying and, and enough to keep, keep me from skiing on some days and just make life pretty unpleasant. So I, I started to do some research into you know, current approaches to dealing with low back pain and talking to friends and colleagues, um, people with a lot of expertise in the area. And it was actually my ski coach, Tom Gelly, who I had on the show not too long ago, who referred me to Dr. Eric Goodman's work, Foundation Training. So I just looked up some videos on YouTube of Foundation Training and did some of the uh, pretty simple but not easy techniques um, for about 10 to 12 minutes a day. And within about eight days, my back pain was completely gone, <laughs> uh, which was remarkable because I had tried quite a few things prior to that, you know, some of the more typical interventions, CBD and internal anti-inflammatory botanicals and yoga practice and stretching and bunch of other stuff that was all, all of which was somewhat helpful, acupuncture, but it didn't resolve. And I knew that the back pain I was experiencing was related to something structural um, that I was, or, or rather functional, I guess is a better way to put it, just the, the way that I was holding my body and moving my body. And that 
anything else that I did that didn't address those, those patterns, those movement patterns was only going to be a short-term fix. And that's really one of the foundational principles of Dr. Goodman's approach and, and foundation training. He developed the work through his own experience with back pain, which was much worse uh, than mine, and has evolved it over the past 12 or 13 years. Uh, he's written four books. He has a certification course and an app that now uh, supports people in all different areas of life. So they, they work with first responders. They work with extremely high-level athletes like Kelly Slater, uh, who's the best surfer of all time, probably, and uh, Derek Fisher from the Lakers, uh, celebrities like Matthew McConaughey. Um, they work with you know, Olympic-level athletes in a lot of different sports, and they've gained a reputation for being kind of the go-to training resource for people who, not just who are dealing with pain, but who want to perform at a high level and really uh, move in a more functional and efficient way. So I recently sat down with Dr. Goodman to talk about a whole range of issues, like the what what is the cause of low back pain? Um, and that might surprise you because it's not the typical answer. What's the problem with most approaches to back pain? Why do they fall short, including painkillers and surgery? How foundation training developed and how it's evolved over time as an approach to improving functional movement and reducing pain? Uh, and then what are some of the simple ways that you can get started with foundation training if you're someone who is dealing with any kind of chronic uh, back pain or pain in other areas, or if you're just somebody who uh, wants to, like I said, move in a more efficient and effortless and powerful way. So I've been practicing foundation training on an almost daily basis since I learned about this work, and it's been a huge game changer for me uh, in how, how I feel and perform and so I wanted to share it with you, and I was really happy that Dr. Goodman was willing to join me as a guest on the show. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode, and make sure to share it with anybody that you know that's dealing with back pain, because if you look on in the comments of some of the Foundation Training YouTube videos, you'll see just how transformative this work has been for so many people around the world. All right, let's dive in. Dr. Eric Goodman, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. It's really wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. So I, you know, I, we all have our own story that brings us to this type of work I've found, and um, I'd love to hear your story. I, I know just from reading a little bit about your work that you yourself suffered from pretty debilitating back pain and weren't finding solutions in the typical places to find solutions. And so my understanding is that this work kind of came out of your own hard-won experience dealing with uh, back pain. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's, that's quite accurate. So I'm 41 now at the time of, of our interview. And when I was 26, 27, I was kind of met with a, a bit of a choice A or choice B type position in life. And I'm very glad I took what I would consider choice A, which is alternative. Uh, I was supposed to get or could have gotten had I listened to a couple doctors, a fusion surgery at my fourth, fifth, and, and sacral tip vertebra to avoid some hypermobility and, and understand I was literally in my last years of chiropractic school at that moment. So the hypermobility was le legitimate. I hadn't quite learned 
to strengthen my back muscles accurately, even though I felt often strong, like in my arms or in my, in my lower legs or whatever it might've been. And over years from about age 19 to 23, 24 was what I would consider the least controllable time of back pain. And that was right when I got out of college and started graduate school. And then by the end of graduate school, it was legitimately debilitating. I, it, you couldn't get in or out of a car without the pain. I couldn't, you know, I'd be sitting in my classes for about six or eight hours a day of chiropractic school. Then you treat patients, then you study, and that's five days a week. It became a very agonizing uh, process. And lo and behold, the chiropractor saying, guys, I think there's got to be an active component here. I can't, you can't adjust me and expect my body then to just say, got it, got it, no problem. So my personal journey with my back pain was trying to understand why I couldn't stay aligned. And it started with extension poses that were very open chain. And, and you can see those in the first iterations of foundation training from 2010, 11, 12. And then things get closed chain with this sphere of tension, this anchoring and decompression protocol that we created. And, and that process is literally my story with back pain. It's, it's my digging myself out of many somewhat painful situations because while, de while developing this work, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a straight line of this feels better, this feels better, wow, I can't believe it. It was, this feels better, I'm gonna build on this until, oh wow, I built too far in that mm. direction, I hurt again. So we had to kind of wrap things from the back posterior chain, which was our entire focus at the beginning to a more complete whole body kind of mechanistic movement protocol. And that's literally my, my journey in life from 26 until 41. That's my last 15 years is every single day I'm, I'm feeling what I'm feeling, trying to get myself out of pain. And then 2007, 2008, 2009, I started really being able to show that to people. I, I had some very fortunate I don't know if it was networking. I don't know. I, maybe it was because I played water polo in college a little bit and I was somewhat familiar with the sport that I got really fortunately asked to be a, an intern with the head coach of the U.S. water polo team. Wow. The Beijing Olympics. And like these, these kind of happenstance things truly led to the development of, of this work in a sustainable fashion. And I, I can talk about a lot of those interesting kind of serendipitous moments where all of a sudden I'm treating 25 people my size or bigger, very athletic, and they all have the same pain. This common chronic lower back pain, and hence foundation training is kind of this, it's my answer to it. That's, that's the story. Yeah. This is the answer to it, in my, in, in my opinion. I love that. I mean, I, of course, I have my own story and how it led to my, my own work. And I, I found that, you know, work that evolves out of that real need and that that authentic experience tends to really be more effective uh, because it's it's tested by reality and mm -hmm. uh, in in the school of life, so to speak. I'm curious about your pain and also most of the people you work with. It doesn't sound like there was any particular dramatic injury that led to your pain. At least you didn't mention that. Do you yeah. do you do you feel like it was just a question of too much sitting, overdevelopment of certain muscles and underdevelopment of other muscles or areas of the body. 
both in yourself and then what you, you said you've also worked with, and I know you've worked with many high level athletes in all kinds of different sports, Derek Fisher, you know, Lakers, uh, Kelly Slater, you know, all, all these like incredible athletes who are also dealing with back pain. So what do, what do you think is the most common cause of lower back pain? That's a very good question. And my answer has changed over the past decade. And it really has. And I, I, I try to be as open with people as I can about this. I'm trying to understand. I don't understand. I'm really doing my best to understand. And that helps you formulate opinions along the way. And, and sometimes they can be pretty sharp. My opinion on the cause of back pain is it happens in two places from a physical standpoint, and then it happens in numerous ways from non-physical. And, and I wanna touch on both if that's okay. Yeah. So the first mechanism of back pain problematic issues is the head kind of coming off of its linear axis, which is not a downward linear axis, it's an upward linear axis that is pulled up by the back of the skull and the front of the skull, kind of a, a dual pulley system. When, the, when this happens, this little break of a pivot point right at the base of the skull where it meets the neck and at the top of the shoulders where they meet the ribs, those two pivot points are the initiators of back pain in most people. And it's not because of what's happening here, it's because of what happens to balance out the torso at the pelvis and low spine. And does that happen equally while sitting and standing? Or is that because I know that posture you just demonstrated where the neck goes forward and you lose that uh, extension through the spine into the cervical spine is very common when people are sitting, myself included. Like I have to constantly watch for that when I'm sitting and readjust my posture or that is just sort of the default that I go into when I'm sitting. Whereas when I'm standing, I find that that's somewhat less common. I don't know if that's just me or if that's something you've observed as well. You're observing adaptation. And on a microcosmic scale, a day-to-day, -day, this is what my body is getting used to type of adaptation. And the body's gonna really work hard to get good at that. Even, you know, it's going to permit itself to get good at that. So if what you're sitting, if what you're doing is sitting all the time, which most of us do, and I am not of the camp that sitting is smoking, by the way. I'm not, I'm not in that camp. It's something we do and we can do it well. But we have to adapt out of it. Your head is not being pushed up against a closed circuit chain, like a closed chain. It's not, there's no wall pressing your head down, but there now is a wall pressing your hips up and pressing your lower spine and sacrum up. So in essence, if you want to transfer that force accurately, there can be no forward motion. There can only be upward lift. And that upward lift starts at the ischium, the sit bones, the butt bones, through the spine, through the skull with no kinks. And that's hard, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. that's, that's not the place really to fix your sitting. What right. you do is you stand up and you, you pay attention to that reality. I, I love, I like that you really mention, and I know from, from knowing your work or, or have learned your work and have used it for my own benefit over the years, I know you're N1, you're the experience and you're sharing it. And I love that reality that you're talking about as the test because you can't fake it. You absolutely cannot fake this. You can't stick your chest out so far without collapsing the middle of the spine. You can't pull your chin back so hard without flexing an inaccurate curvature. You can't fake it. 
You can only pull the ends apart. And that's what we've gotten really good at in our work. So take, is it because of sitting? Is it because of shoes? Is it because of technology? The reason our body is in these postures is because it's really good at adapting. That's why. It's really good. And that doesn't really change as we get older, but the desire and the momentum and the inertia and the personal want to adapt does get diminished. But our body's pretty adaptable while we're alive. So with back pain, with what is the cause of it, I, I always try to steer people a lot more to what they can do about it, which is a much better place to spend your time when it comes to physical ailments. And we've talked about that physical structure of back pain is a really easy one to fix. I got to be honest with you. It's you, you, you take the hips and you screw them back in away from that kind of turnout they're used to. And you take the shoulders and you unscrew them and then wrap them into the lats and they get this big, beautiful protection. And it's just instant when you learn it. But the digestive system travels directly in front of many spinal nerves and many discs. Different organs travel very close proximity to muscles that insert into the spine and organ dysfunction. To be straight with you, I would go number one, physical stress on the body is why back pain happens. Number two, unrecognized visceral dysfunction, even at a minor scale, yielding chronic inflammation in front of a joint or in front of a nerve root is probably number two. Yep. And number three is, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. John Sarno. Mm -hmm. I yeah. love Sarno's work. Yeah. I think it's as eloquent. I think it's the best way to be a doctor in the world. First, you got to get yourself out of your own way mentally. You have to understand that, that patterns of thought, patterns of behavior, traumatic incidents do get stored in your neurology. And one way or another, whether, whether we understand it or not, it occurs. So those three things are very important. It, it, this is chronic pain, mind you. This is not my back hurts today. It's never happened before. Fix it. This is, it's been going on for 20 years. Why? I've got the surgery. It didn't work. I've done the exercises. It didn't work. This is kind of the overall picture of pain. You have to address healthy diet. You have to address healthy trauma release or, or, or just some kind of healthy mental state and being very authentic and honest with yourself. And then when you address the physical, postural ailment pieces of this, they really, they really last and it becomes a perpetuating positive feedback loop. This is great because it, it, it makes sense. You know, most of my listeners are obviously familiar with the functional medicine lens, the idea of identifying and addressing the root cause. And back pain seems to be one of those areas where that has really not happened for the most part in conventional approaches. Cause you're saying there are these physical causes of back pain, which are not the typical physical causes that most people talk about. And then there are systemic uh, causes that are not directly related to the back, but impact the back, like visceral dysfunction that leads to, you know, chronic inflammation near a nerve root, or just even systemic inflammation in general, that if you think of like a bathtub analogy where the water is inflammation and there's like a rubber ducky on top is a particular body part. If that water is rising, you know, up and up and up, then the inflammation in that local part is going to keep going up and up. I, I often explain it that way to patients. And then you have the whole 
psychological, emotional, neurological component from trauma and just even simple things like, you know, if, uh, sometimes people who lack confidence, you know, they, they hold their body in a certain posture. Yeah, their shoulders slump forward and that neck thing happens that you were describing. And if you're in that posture for an extended period of time, right, you're going you're, you're, you're gonna to develop pain. So it's pretty easy to understand all of that. And yet, if somebody has pain and they go into an orthopedist, what is likely to happen? And what goes wrong in that situation? That's, that's the question. I've had a really wonderful opportunity to work with a lot of different types of doctors in my career. And I haven't had a super long career. I've been doing this pretty much more or less like daily. I work with patients in pain every day of my life. And that's been going on for since 2008, approximately. So like 13, 14 years. I've had a lot of really interesting experiences in working with doctors that also prescribe surgeries and, but they want to be less into that. They want to be the conservative doctor. They want, they want the community to talk about them, that they are very good at what they do, but they don't run to it with every patient. And I, and I find the doctors that want that, that want to kind of create a holistic, well, not even a holistic, let's take that out, an inclusive integrative approach where they feel the surgery was truly necessary. The outcomes are typically better. So I'll just give that blanket statement first. It's really hard to cure pain truly with chemistry. That's not what's happening in most of the circumstances, unless for some reason, your body cannot make encaphalin, your body cannot make anandamide, your body cannot make these endogenous opiates or cannabinoids or pain relievers that are there for pain relief. And then you might need a painkiller. You know, like then pain medicine truly makes sense from a chemical standpoint. But if I would have had a, a painkiller for my back, I'd still be in much worse pain, I would imagine. And there would be this, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but man, do you see it working in pain management? There's a dissociation of patients from first themselves, second, their community. And that happens all the time when somebody goes in for plantar fasciitis, when somebody goes in for a frozen shoulder, for a general sacroiliitis, a low back pain, you know, they are given a chemical solution for a physical problem. And this is where my intonation changes every time I talk about it, I can't help it because it's backwards. It doesn't make sense. I can't, I can't get around it. I can't get my head around it. You are asking a patient to become dependent on a pill and, and because their sensation is just a little bit overwhelming for them. Yeah. That's, that's such a bad education. Yeah, and we know patient. now through like recent discoveries in neuroplasticity and understanding the neurobiology of pain more, how that, you know, what the purpose of that pain signal is and how that pain signal can become either amplified or persistent um, inappropriately because of the, those neurobiological dynamics and taking painkillers is never going to address that root cause, as you pointed out. And it's, it's, it's some, it seems almost similar to the idea of taking aspirin every time you have a slight temperature, you know, the, the fever is there for a purpose and, and, and it plays in as an important role and pain actually is there for a purpose and plays an important role. And I don't say that to be 
insensitive to people who are dealing with chronic pain. I've had chronic pain myself. I know how debilitating that can be. And I think we do need to be real about the role that pain can play in directing our attention to a particular problem area and inviting us to explore solutions that are actually going to fundamentally shift our biomechanics and lead to resolution of that pain. And you lose that opportunity if you rely solely on painkillers. It's, it's an abusive relationship. Immediately. It's, it's benefit. Oh, I don't feel it anymore at major cost. Yeah. And it's not talked about that way very often. Uh, let's, let's go aside from painkillers though, because what's interesting is those painkillers do provide a wonderful window for certain acute patients in which they can work on the root problem. Yes. So yeah. they can be used beautifully, but they're not prescribed that way. Yeah. They're prescribed as needed instead of as ordered. For the next four days, when you don't feel your pain, you're going to work on this process and you're going to eat better. You're going to hydrate yourself and you're going to sleep. Then we'll address pain management. You know, that's totally different. Yeah. Um, surgeries are, are a great mechanism of healing the body in certain instances, but most spinal surgeries that aren't laminectomies or there's others, but really laminectomies are the one that has to occur at the spinal level. Most spinal discrepancies are pelvic discrepancies and lat discrepancies and transversus abdominis discrepancies. They're not spinal discrepancies. Muscles pull joints, left, right, center, up, down, forward, backward. Joints don't really work of their own accord. The pelvic platform is where most spinal joints go awry because the base that they're, they're moving from is forward or backward or tucked or untucked or cattywampus, you know, there's, there's a, a platform like shift that occurs. So even when we're talking about surgeries or even the painkillers, where you feel it very often is not where it's coming from. So there's an inaccuracy that's a real problem around the diagnosis of, of not so much acute, but really chronic pains in the body. Um, the biggest thing that I've started teaching over the past many years, so we have, a, we have a certification course in foundation training that kind of teaches perspective. And we've been doing that for almost 10 years now. This is our ninth year of certifications. We have 12, we'll, we'll be crossing 1300 instructors after our Utah cert this next month. And I'm really excited for that. Like we've worked hard on it, but the perspective has changed the entire time. You know, like it's, it's refining, 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 refining. And one of the biggest things I've, I've really taken into account is, is every single body is so different. The pain people feel is so different. So you don't really necessarily need to teach steps so much as translation of somatosensation. Do you know the term somatosensation? Mm -hmm. Sure. Anybody in the field that, that really gets, gets by, you learn there's a, there's a communication that occurs within the body. And the, the more tuned in you get to that, the more you're provided a roadmap of what's happening within your body, especially when it comes to pain-like sensations. So what we teach is movement and we teach breath, we teach decompression breathing, we teach pelvic anchoring, but through the sensation of what it feels like, the pathways, the muscles, when wrong, when accurate. And that skill of somatosensation with patients has been 
by far the best medicine I could ever practice, ever. Uh, I don't adjust patients. I'm not a practicing chiropractor. I'm educated as a chiropractor. I have the degree, I'm very proud of it, but I practice with education and movement. And getting people to feel and recognize what's happening is a greater skill than anything I can treat them with or even offer them with like supplementation or anything like that. It's just, you need to be able to feel what's going on. Yeah, that's a, that's a real challenge I've found for a lot of people. And um, it's something that has to be cultivated as you're talking about, you know, really um, it's an awareness practice, really, really tuning into your body and understanding the signals that are sent. And especially when they're intense signals, you know, if somebody's in a lot of pain, it can yeah. be, or I think our natural tendency is to is to kind of back away from that and turn our attention away, distract ourselves. Um, and that's, that's, while that's understandable, it could do us a disservice, right? Because then we miss out on the information that we get from that. It's like a skip over, it's a mistranslation. I mean, in, in any discussion, there's going to be this like, you're trying to understand each other, but within your own body, you gotta have that translation down pretty well, I believe, you really yeah. do. If we were to sort of boil the current 2022 version of foundation training, understanding that it is in constant flux and evolution, which is, I, I really appreciate that about your work and, and about you because, and, and you know, I always remind patients of this is there's a reason they call it a practice, any of course, kind of yeah, work that you're doing, practice. it's a practice. If you've listened to the show for a while, you know that I'm a super active guy. Depending on the time of year, I'm either skiing, mountain biking, hiking, backpacking, surfing, or lifting weights on most days of the week. I also live in a really dry climate at high elevation. For these reasons, I pay a lot of attention to hydration. I've learned the hard way what happens when I get dehydrated, and I know how important hydration is to overall health. But hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. This is where Element comes in. It's a combination of electrolytes like sodium, potassium, and magnesium in easy-to-use individual packets that you just add right to your water bottle. And unlike most electrolyte products on the market, Element is free of sugar and artificial junk. I drink Element every day, and it's made a huge difference in how I feel. Even with my training and profession, I don't think I realized how often I was dehydrated before I made Element part of my daily routine. If you'd like to try it, the folks at Element have an exclusive offer for my podcast listeners. You can get a free sample pack with one of each of the eight flavors Element sells when you purchase any Element product. This is perfect for anyone who wants to try all of the flavors or who wants to introduce a friend to Element. Just go to cresser.co slash Element, that's L-M-N-T, to place an order and take advantage of this offer. You probably know that the human body is mostly water. What you probably don't know is that everything else in your body is 50% amino acids. These building blocks of life are essential for health and fitness. No matter how you like to move, whatever you do to stay fit, amino acids are essential. This is why Keon Aminos is my fundamental supplement for fitness. I drink them every day for energy, to build muscle, and to recover faster. Keon Aminos is backed by over 20 years of clinical research, has the highest quality ingredients, no fillers or junk, undergoes rigorous quality testing, and tastes amazing with all natural flavors. So if you want more energy, lean muscle, and faster recovery, you need to get Keon Aminos. 
You can now save 20% on subscriptions and 10% on one-time purchases. Just go to getkion.com slash Cresser. That's G-E-T-K-I-O-N dot com slash Cresser. Yeah, so how would you describe the you know 2022 version sure. of foundation training in a nutshell given the evolution over time you know i've i watched uh your that initial youtube video that has millions and millions of views was that 10 years eight years old now or something so yeah i imagine there's been a lot of evolution <laughs> since then it's so crazy like that was the that was the first video we made yeah. we made we made that one for oddly enough because life is crazy that was for Lance Armstrong and for a guy named Doug Ullman, who at the time was the CEO of Livestrong. And then Lance came clean about a lot of stuff. And that was an interesting moment in life for him. But we luckily, we, we snuck in there, helped him return to the Tour de France. And he really helped my, my old partner and good friend, Peter and I grow our initial thing. And that video was kind of like a representation of that. Mm -hmm. Now, man, made a life out of it, Chris. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, literally that with that video, I, it was, it wasn't even really foundation training yet. It was like, it was just becoming what it was, it was just figuring it out. We put our first book out that year in May of 2011 called foundation in 2015, I put out or 2016, I put out true to form, which was the theory of foundation training. So if you look at true to form, you will see the most accurate physical expression of foundation training. And I would consider it more or less still true. It's, it's really lasted the test of time. I'd say that that is as far as I could evolve those movements. That's as far as I could get them. That's as good as I could get them. We now have, so that was about, I think there's 13 or 14 movements in true to form. And we've been developing advanced layers and movements. So now when you look at foundation training, there's 25 movements. Each one of them is based completely around two principles, anchoring the pelvis and decompressing the torso, creating as much space around the spine, the nerves, the visceral organs, the different reasons I was expressing pain occurs in people. We're now teaching to create as much space as possible throughout the entire torso. Very recently, literally January of this year, I put my first more narrative style book out, which is my perspective on pain management in general. And that's called Foundations of Health. That one goes into the 25 movements of foundation training, more why they exist than how to do them. And it goes into the anatomy and physiology of chronic pain. The three things that I recommend in that book are movement practices like foundation training, heat therapy and only, I recommend traditional saunas. I really don't recommend infrared in the same way. I go, I say, go to the real heat, go to the, the tried and tested source. It's been around for, for generations. So real heat saunas, moving with like breathing exercises in them. That's not my own, you know, thought. That's just what works for chronic pain patients. And any way that a patient can naturally stimulate the endogenous cannabinoid system, as long as it's fed as healthfully as possible with enough omegas, enough glycerin, enough, enough of the building blocks to, to make anandamide, to make 2-AG. And I've really gone down the rabbit hole of why adapting to the foundation training feels so good in the body and kind of blended the two with research we found of the endogenous cannabinoid system, or I call it the endogenous homeostasis system versus you know adapting your body intentionally to very powerful positions.
So that's where it is. That's that's where it is now. We got certification yeah. courses. We have apps. We have books. We got a real thing, man. <laughs> that's an amazing evolution. It's it's great to see that happen, and it's great work. Um, I I was we were chatting be, before the show. My ski coach Tom Gelly, who I, I've had on the show as well, um, at some point last season about 25 days into the season, I started to develop some low back pain, which is not, not typical for me. And I, and Tom sent me your 10 year old, you know, initial video on YouTube. And I did just did it for, you know, eight or nine days straight and the back pain completely disappeared. So even the old school variation still working very well, but I'm curious now, like if I would have picked up the phone and called you, in that situation, what would, how would you advise me to get started? Would it be with the foundational movements in? It would have been through the, the current iteration of what I call supine decompression. This is my acute back pain recipe for patients. We're going to take gravity as much out of the equation as we can. So you're going to be horizontal supine. We're going to anchor the pelvis basically as the hip joints move inward. So recognize, let's pretend these are hips they typically are way outward. So we're gonna twist them back in and create an elongated glute and we're going to wrap the sacrum. Usually the sacrum is thrust forward when the glutes yeah. contract. So we're unwrapping that, wrapping the hips forward into internal rotation, kind of zipping the knees together, zipping the toes. You'll even see if you're looking at it accurately, the toes touch and the heels are separated while the knees are touching. So what we've done is we're basically taking the muscles and using them to unwrap tension at the nerve level, at the spinal level. We're then doing something called decompression breathing, which is taking the front and back of the rib cage and moving it away from the lower spine uniformly with our inhalations through the nose, creating a eccentric diaphragmatic contraction. For anybody that doesn't know, that just means we're training the diaphragm to feel the force it has to absorb under tension before we ask it to generate any force. And that breathing, that, that tethering of the hips from below and expansion and expression of the torso from above creates this beautiful decompression along the spine. We've been able to really test that with a lot of different types of people. And you're more in the research world than I am. And I am is I am so looking forward to researching this with anybody that will do it with me. All I want you to do is tell me what to test against in chronic pain and I will put foundation training against it and we will work our butts off. You can test it. We will stand back and just, just make sure the poses are done well because the small tests we've done with Los Angeles County Fire Department, with a couple teams, with anecdotal evidence from doctors and physical therapists and many, many PhD students writing their thesis on us and things like that. We've had incredible outcomes, but no real double blind studies that will really make a difference in our work. So I'm really looking for that. And I will, I, I've been saying this, I did an interview, I've done a few interviews with Joe Mercola over the years. My first one back in 2012, I was like, somebody please do research with us. You know, and it's a hard thing to come across, especially yeah. honestly as a chiropractor. Well, we have a lot of researchers in our audience, PhD level and practitioners, as you know. So maybe someone will hear this and respond to the call, hint, hint. 
Yeah, any really back pain, back pain is a plague. It's a real thing. It affects so many people. And some truly unfortunate people are otherwise completely healthy. A small change occurs in their back and their life changes forever because of how the reaction occurred. Not Absolutely. because of the problem, but because of the advice they were given and the steps they took. Right. It That's what to help people avoid. Painkiller addiction, surgeries that go wrong and, and then cause a real structural problem that actually wasn't there prior to the surgery. I've seen that I've seen so many examples of things go south very quickly and very dramatically from mismanaged back pain. So I fully agree. It's a it's a huge problem. I know um, just from reading a little bit that you I've found this phrase in a few places. Everything we do is either building us up or breaking us down. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, I have a, I have a guess of what you mean by that, but I'm curious, you know, what's, what that lens brings to the work for you. So if you go all the way back to 11, 11, 11, November 11th, 2011, I got to give a, a TEDx talk and the TEDx talk was the unexpected consequences of modern technology. Before I even go into this story, can you refine, can you ask me that, that question real specific? I want to make sure I'm on topic with it. Sure. So everything we do is either building us up or breaking us down. Yeah, got it. The net impact of that talk was meant to be the idea of complacent versus active adaptation. Complacent adaptation being your body is going to adapt no matter what, because it is a beautifully wired, perfect adaptable mechanism. It will improve at what you're asking it to do, even if what you're asking it to do is passive relaxing, minimally metabolic, and potentially bad for it. It will make itself better at doing that at an effort of efficiency. You, you take that energy that's it's being used anyways, and you just focus it a little bit like we do in corrective exercise, or like you do learning a language, learning an instrument, learning a new skill, learning a martial art, you know, learning to dance, learning to, to communicate with friends and partners better. Each one of these is a buildup of that same adaptive mechanism that only was more refined, more focused, more patterned, more practiced. Patterns are what our body knows and it's always trying to improve the patterns from a microcellular level to a macro existence level. It's trying to improve the efficiency within itself of those patterns and that's the gift of the human body. It's kind of this adaptability till we die to some degree. You hear, you hear of people learning jujitsu in their 70s and having wonderful times in that process. So the idea that it's either building us up or breaking us down is that we don't, we're not given the choice of whether or not we adapt, but we are given the choice of just kind of a little bit taking a subtle pattern and control of that and not getting hard on ourselves if we miss a day or two or three days, but keeping the pattern alive of trying to do good things. That's the idea. So, on that note, how does, how does foundation training fit in to a tr an overall kind of training routine? Let's say I'm, you know, uh, right now at this time of year, I'm mountain biking, I'm hiking, I'm, you know, kayaking, wake surfing, doing a bunch of other stuff. Doing also, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I lift, I, I, I lift, I strength, I do strength training. I, you know, squats and deadlifts and it fits and, in everywhere. that sort of thing. Yeah. So just to give people who are less familiar with it, like, how often do, do you suggest that people do it? How, how many, you know, how 
is it or is it just something they sort of incorporate within their routine or does it sort of ebb and flow depending on their needs and what's going on how do you work with people to kind of incorporate it into their life that's a good question and it's not a really it's not a set answer we have so we have a lot of instructors in different types of lives in different demographics we have some instructors that only work with 60 to 80 85 year olds we have some instructors that are college swim coaches and that's where all of their instruction fits in we have some that are young kid dance or gymnastics coaches and we have some that are master level jujitsu coaches so you know so all across that board we have entry points those entry points look always like this always a little bit every day hmm. always for some people a little bit is like okay Okay, I did my little bit today. It's better than nothing. For some people, it's 30, 40 minutes of very focused, very intense foundation training, which is hard. You see, I look, this is me at the end of every interview I get. I start sweating because <laughs> I get into it and I'm starting to move and I get pretty excited about it. It works to make your body active a lot. When you do decompression breathing, if you do it well, while you're doing it, you're kind of shaking. Your body's working very hard. But then when you go to your activity, you're skiing, what you're not doing is this hyperextension that your body's used to because that shaking that you were experiencing during the warm-up activated the protective muscles around the ribs. And that's not unique to skiing. That's using the right muscles for big movements and using those big movements to prime the exercise. So a hip hinge, you want to be able to have a very powerful hip hinge. So one of our primary exercises, the founder is an isometric hip hinge and then a practiced dynamic hip hinge that is obsessively compulsively detailed. And that will translate to any sport you do because your body needs the hips to be the power center of the body. So if you're not hip hinging your spine bending, and if you're practicing spine bending, your hips are kind of, they're kind of turning off. Yeah. They're kind of not as available for you as they were prior. And you don't want that. You want the hips to be better. The absorption and power production centers of the body. That was a big one for me. And I think it was somewhat, after being exposed to it, I understand the biomechanics of it and why it makes sense. But I think there's, there's a sort of, at least in, in, in the world of, well, in certain types of athletic training, there's an idea that like having that kind of structure where the lower back is, is arched is dangerous. If you do that and you're going to, and you're lifting, you know, heavy weights or something that that's gonna, You know, that's going to lead to injury, but it seems like it's the other way around. It's, it's both it, because you can go too far, right? You can, hyper a, a hyper yeah. lordosis is, is just as bad for you as a hypo. Right. Because both of them take force instead of being driven through the spine, there's a break point right. one direction or the other. Yep. And what I tell people is you don't fix that by, by nutating or counter nutating by, you don't fix that by, by anteriorly or posteriorly rocking the pelvic joints. You fix it by inner rotating the pelvic mm -hmm. joints, broadening the expanse of where the foot hits the ground so that it's very even 
and then feeling those muscles that basically the foot controls the leg muscles. So the more of the foot on the ground, the more muscular activation of the leg all the way to the hip joints, to the pelvis. Right. That switch is a fixed anterior and posterior pelvic tilt. Whereas if you're anteriorly tilted and you just posteriorly tilt, you're, you're creating hypermobility instead of fixing the problem. It sounds like it's a lot also about, you used the word alignment earlier and aligning the skeleton so that force is being, is being translated or communicated through the skeleton in the best possible way. So you don't have breakpoints and you're using physics basically to translate that force in the most efficient and supportive way. That was perfect. That was, that was it. People should listen to that because that's <laughs> what we're trying to do. You yeah. shouldn't have mechanical interruptions because through mechanical interruptions come other interruptions. And it, it tends to be very rarely does a nerve shorten its tension. And that's why something changes in the body. I, you don't really hear that, but muscles can adaptively shorten under the weight of the body and it mm. changes them until you change them back. Mm. So, you know, each of these things is, they're very real. That's what I want people to understand. People, people think, oh, my back hurts. And they get almost upset when it doesn't go away because, because they think they should be able to just take Advil for the next 10 years and they'll never have it again. And it's like, there's so many other problems that come with that desensitization ecosystem in your body that it's just not worth it. Experience your pain, feel it. Yeah. My body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is so fascinating. And I, I love this approach because it's, you know, there's so many synchronicities between like the work that I do and a functional approach to health and this very functional approach to not, it's, it's goes so far beyond pain. I mean, pain is probably the thing that brings people to it uh, for the most part, but it's really seems to me uh, to be about like, what, what is the most powerful, ef efficient, effortless and enjoyable way to be in a body, you know, and, and, and whether you're talking about just being pain-free and, and, and being able to like not go through your day and feel good in your body, or whether you're talking about being able to perform at a super high level because you're not being impeded by uh, any kind of obstructions in, in, in the body in the way that it's aligned and you're using your body or whether you're, I know you work a lot with first responders, like you said, who are like, you know, firefighters who are holding a, ho a fire hose in a certain position for a long period of time or doing uh, other kinds of repetitive mechanical activities all day. Yeah. It's, Let me it's give you a quick, just a quick rundown of what happens with firefighters. We have a really interesting close connection with firefighters because hey my brother-in-law who is my partner in foundation training his name is coach jesse solace he is strong as an ox he was a 17-year heavy rescue firefighter in orlando and then six seven years ago we, we yanked him out of there and he became my main partner in foundation training and he and i have treated people all over the world together he's told me a lot of what this does for him and he was one of our main people pushing this into fire departments initially with firefighters, we found the first major, the skeletal structural strength component, huge value from carrying packs to sitting in the truck on the way to a, to a gig, to a fire, to a, to a rescue, to whatever it has to be. Over five or six years of working with firefighters, we kind of pulled more in. 
One of them is on my primary teaching team on our core educator team. His name is Evan Halquist and he's a captain currently at Los Angeles County Firefighter or Los Angeles uh, County Fire. But much more interesting is he trained for years all their recruits. And for years, he got to add in 10 minutes of foundation training a day to each recruit class. It was substantial and, and it's felt. And we were able to see some reports and we were able to see the significant reduction in injuries. And much more interesting was three things. Decompression breathing and pelvic anchoring was able to show an improvement in lung volume, a decrease in reported mental stress and an increase in grip strength. And in there, we have two mortality markers in grip strength and lung volume. That was the most interesting. We did not anticipate that. We kind of understood the long, lung volume thing because you are practicing very big breathing with decompression and eccentrically in particular. But the pain part was we figured that it was going to help with pain. We really, well, yeah, that makes sense. We're, we're strengthening the posterior chain. We're aligning the body. We're proud. Of course, it's going to help with pain. You know, that's not rocket science. The grip strength thing just shows the integration of the body that our poses provide. That's it. Yeah. And the lung volume thing is just, hey, everybody needs better lung volume. Not just the ability to breathe quickly or shallow. You need to really express both directions of inflation and exhalation. You have to be able to do that. So it was very promising. And I think we're going to, I don't think I know, we're leaning into that a little bit with some of our styles of teaching lately. And I'm really looking forward to, again, we're, we're hopeful and, and I know we're going to have more research. Our business has been growing. Our notoriety has absolutely been on an upward trajectory for several years now. And I, I feel that the research is kind of around the corner. Yeah, it'll come. I love you doing that work with first responders at my former clinic, CCFM. We did a lot of programs for firefighters and it, it's such an underserved population when it comes to, you know, supporting their health and well-being because it's hard work and it, it, it's, there's a lot of, uh, they're exposed to a lot of really challenging situations. Um, you know, everything from eat, having to share meals in the firehouse and not having control over what you eat uh, to, you know, being in difficult physical situations. So Although if there's any community in the world that needs access, every, every fire station on the planet should have a hot sauna for when these guys and girls get off of calls and they can Absolutely. just box all those environmental toxins. Yeah. They're, I mean, that they don't have, or cops too. People that have to experience both environmental toxicity and trauma style toxicity, you need to be able to purge that. Take foundation training completely out of the picture, whatever. Those people need to purge. They need their lymphatic systems to drain. And I think you'd see a huge impact on the mental well-being and the overall health of, of first responders with the simple addition of a traditional sauna at each station. I agree. Yeah, I agree. So Eric, tell me, you know, when, if somebody's listening to this, they're, they're really interested, they want to get started. What's the best way to do that? Sure. So we have, we have entry points of, of various types. Absolutely. Go try it out on YouTube. We have a great YouTube page. You can see samples of our work. You can get a tutorial in decompression breathing. You can get a tutorial in anchoring. You can get all of these different bits and pieces that help you understand foundation training for free on either YouTube or on our streaming site. 
once you get to the streaming site, there's a few things for free, but then there's like our baseline program, which is 14 weeks every single day. We walk you through literally 112 days of daily foundation training. From there, you can go into any of our myriad programs. There's hundreds of workouts on there. Um, we have workouts from myself, from Jesse Solis, from Nicole Metis, from Allison Cost, from Sean Yeager Diamond, from Evan Halquist, and Matt Wiest, and Lorena Lee. We've got a lot of different doctors, a lot of different trainers and practitioners that add their perspective on foundation training there. So there's many entry points, again, from like the older people to the younger people and everything in between. We have three books on the subject that I wrote, and then my wife, check this out, got a really smart wife. She wrote this Shaping Your Babies Foundation, which oh, enters nice. into the first year of life for new parents and really walks them through it beautifully. She is a pediatric physical therapist and just has a really remarkable mind. So there's a lot like there's information that surrounds this and we've been around a bit now. So you can really find some, some incredible information about it. Once you've looked at what foundation training is, you kind of decide, yeah, I'd like to give this a try. If there's an instructor nearby, we have over 1,200 instructors around the world. You can do the find a trainer on our page at foundationtraining.com. If you have the opportunity to learn this in person, it's the best way to learn it. Some of them teach on Zoom, but if you're going to do Zoom, you know, if you can learn in person, learn in person. That's always better. Uh, but yeah, we've got books, certification courses. We have the app. We have in-person instructors. Um, other than that, you're going to have to come up with it yourself. <laughs> no, I think that's a, a, a really great suite of tools for people. You know, some, uh, I, I like learning through a, as many different mediums as possible. You know, I, I like books, I like video. Um, so it's good to have all those, I think all those different entry points for folks. And it sounds like also just for different populations who have different needs and are coming from, you know, uh, a different place in life. So Super excited to get this work out there. Like I said, it's been transformative for me and uh, I've already told a lot of people about it because it's, you know, it's, um, I don't often encounter work that's really kind of, I feel like is really addressing all the different angles that need to be addressed. You know, some people or bodies of work tend to do one thing really well, but neglect mm -hmm. other things that are, I feel are really important and need to be included in the equation. And it's hard for me to recommend those bodies of work, at least without some significant qualifications and caveats and things like that. But I, I really love the holistic way you're approaching the physical causes of back pain, the emotional and trauma related causes, and then the way that your work you know, brings together breathing and movements and other practices to address it. It's really remarkable. And I applaud uh, your continued willingness to grow and evolve the work and not just rest on the accomplishments you've had so far. And I'm excited to see how that will continue to, to transform. That's really, that's really cool to hear. Thank you, Chris. Um, again, I've been a fan of, of what you do for a long time. I'm always trying to dial in my own physiology. As you can see, I sweat like an ox. So I'm always trying to dial this in a little bit and, and try to figure out my electrolytes and aldosterone and all these different things. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of quietly behind the curtain, paying attention very much to what you're putting out there. Uh, but thank you for the platform and for, for letting me talk about foundation training. This is my life's work. I, I live it and, and breathe it every day. And I really hope that people that are listening to this get some benefit from it if they try. Right. Yeah, so everybody make sure to 
check out Eric's work, foundationtraining.com and um, the, the books on Amazon and then the streaming platform is really slick. Uh, I've been using it myself um, the last couple of weeks and really getting a lot out of it. So, uh, and you know, don't suffer unnecessarily <laughs> with back pain. I mean, this is another thing that I've, that I've found and I'm sure you have as well. A lot of people just feel resigned you know, they feel like I've had back pain for 15 years or 20 years or whatever. I'm always going to have back pain. There's really no point in doing any, anything about it. But uh, I think that that's, again, while it's understandable to be discouraged, there's always room for movement and shift and transformation. So I hope this encourages some of you to get out there and you know, just make an effort. We give one little one little statement I've made to a lot of people over the years that has resonated with a lot of them, myself included. You're going to have to surrender to something in pain. Either you're going to surrender to being in pain the rest of your life, or you're going to surrender to the reality that you have to work on it for the rest of your life. One of them is active and builds you, builds confidence, builds your personality, builds your character, builds your body, builds your brain. The other one pacifies you, disconnects you, makes you a victim, and hurts like hell. Please choose to surrender to the reality that you have to work on your body for as long as you have one, because that's what we have to do. Everybody. Nobody gets out of that. Love it. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. Thank you, Dr. Goodman, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. And every all the listeners, thanks for uh, listening and keep sending your questions to chriscrosser.com slash podcast question. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscrosser.com slash podcast question. You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast, so it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.